Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Unqualified. You know today's guest from Knives Out, The Sixth Sense, Little Miss Sunshine, About a Boy, and her new movie, Mafia Mama, in theaters now. Here's my dear friend, Tony Collette. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. Hi, darling. I cannot thank you enough. Oh, God, I'm so happy to do this. I have to warn you, I have never been this sick in my life. I'm coming out of it, but there might be some coughing and spluttering. Well, it sort of counteracts, I guess, how sexy you are in Mafia Mama. Oh, you're hilarious. You know that my first impression of you when you walked into the trailer during the estate, I was totally terrified to meet you. And (laughs) when you came in, I was like... The first thing I said, like a nine-year-old, was like, you're so beautiful. (laughs) Oh, you're so sweet. I remember you you were getting your hair done, and you were so focused, like, trying to create the character's look, and I didn't want to interrupt, actually. I was like, hey, hi, and you did. You turned around, and you said that. I was so, I'm so embarrassed. First, I'm very bad at getting compliments. No, I shouldn't say that. Historically, I have been very challenged and not very good at receiving compliments. It's hard. And also, I had literally just had my makeup done. I was like, oh, what are you talking about? It's just all the slap on my face. But you were so sweet. Can you believe that whole experience? What a crazy time, that one. It really was. It really was. (laughs) I know. Someday we'll have to, like, get together and have a big debrief. Yep. One of the stories that you told me during the shoot of the estate was essentially about your family and how you got into this school. Would you mind giving us a short summation Yeah, I come from a very working class family where, you know, there's some creativity. My brother is actually an incredible, beautiful artist and he plays bass guitar. My other brother's gotten into photography. But, you know, we were, we never went without, but we didn't have much. And it was a very loving, very supportive home and family. And so when I had this kind of gravitating towards wanting to perform, I started doing musicals at school. What was your first one? Godspell. Yeah. You know it. Amazing. From that, one of the teachers said, you should really audition for, there's a statewide call for teenagers to audition for this bicentennial musical because Australia was about to turn 200. And it was at the Australian Theatre for Young People and it was a new piece called Burger Brain, the fast food musical about a bunch of kids working at something akin to McDonald's and what their experience was. You know, I didn't know how, you just don't know how talented you are. You're just living with yourself and having some hopes and dreams. And I ended up getting the lead in that. And it was kind of shocking to everyone. It was an incredible experience. And then from that, I got an agent and I started working. The first professional play I did, the head of the drama department at the National Institute of Dramatic Art, 
otherwise known as NIDA, which was coveted by all actors. Everyone went there that you'd had ever heard of, like Mel Gibson and Judy Davis and Sam Neill, all these hugely revered actors. And so it was like the thing to do. You just had to do it. So I did a film called Spotswood. I did a few plays at the Sydney Theatre Company. And then I went and did a year and a bit of studying at NIDA. And don't get me wrong, I was so excited to go there. It was like the be all and end all. And actually it really was to them because when I was offered to leave and go and work in the real world, which is ultimately the aim, they were so unsupportive. And when I say they, all the tutors knew that we were studying Chekhov that term and it was to leave and go and do a Chekhovian play. Yes, this is what you told me. And I feel like it was a doll's house. What was it? No, it was Uncle Vanya. Uncle Vanya. And I... I really struggled with the idea of leaving because they make you feel like you won't survive without them. But all the tutors were like, let her go, have the experience, and then she can come back. We're studying the same thing. It's just a slightly different, you know, it's parallel to what we're doing. But the heads of the school were like, no, you choose, you go, you betray us, you leave or you stay and you become knighted. You know, it was just so dire at the time. Anyway, obviously I left and, you know, I really have not stopped working. Will you tell us about that? Because I, on a very much smaller scale, I feel like I can relate to that. Like, not that you're never going to make it, but you must have a sense of trial, maybe, before you get unleashed. Right, right, right. There is this thing at drama school where they kind of talk about breaking you down so they can build you up again. There were just so many people crying in locker rooms. It was so dramatic. And Actually, for me, I work so instinctively. It's just so technical. They were doing a lot of things. I think some of them may or must help me, but a lot of it, I was like, I don't know. This would be distracting. Isn't it about being in the moment? Isn't it about being honest and feeling real in the moment? I don't want to be technical. That's not real. Anyway, yeah, they really put me through the ringer trying to make that decision. But I had seen Jeffrey Rush in Gogol's Diary of a Madman, which Neil Armfield, who was directing Uncle Vanya, had also directed that. I wrote a letter to them, like a crazy fan, which apparently they fought over, (laughs) which is hilarious, because it was like a religious experience. Watching this play was so profound and so intensely, like it made me feel so, so excited and so alive that I was like, you know, these were the people I was going to be working with in Uncle Vanya. How could I say no to that? Like I've already seen how electric it can be, how it can make people feel, how it made me feel. Why would I deny myself that experience? So ultimately I left and went to work with them and then just continued working. Wait, will you tell us about the next steps though? And how did your parents feel? How did your family realize? Like Um, how were they digesting this? But most importantly, like, lead us into Muriel's wedding. Well, you know, I already had left school. We meant to finish school in year 12 in Australia. And at the beginning of year 11, I'd already done Burger Brain and I started going to the Australian Theatre for Young People in a kind of more serious way and doing other plays. And then I was offered to do a play and tour with it to Europe. And I think I was only 16. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'm doing that. Are you kidding me? And I remember I was in the pool with my dad. We had a little above ground pool, which I loved. And we were leaning on the side of it. And I was like, dad, 
I know this is what I want to do. I have to do it. I'm going to leave school. And I was very good at school. Like no one finished school in our whole extended family. People had said things like, she's going to be the school captain. I had really good grades. You know, in my year 10 yearbook, I was voted most likely to succeed. Stuff that I didn't even really understand. But obviously, I don't know, I gave off something that people would see me in that way, that gave them reason to see me in that way. So leaving school was like, what? But I had found my thing. It really was, for me, I think initially my relationship to acting was the beginning of my relationship with myself because it was permission to connect with myself and like open areas of myself and understand things that I had never expressed before and kind of feel it and express it in a safe place. It was kind of one step removed from myself. So anyway, I left school. I did that tour. I came back. I got the best agent. I started getting work. And I went to NIDA. And when I was considering whether to leave or not, and I had this offer of this job doing Uncle Vanya, I spoke to my agent on the phone and I said, I would really hate it if I left here and I had this one experience of doing this play and then everything just dies in the ass and there's no momentum and there's no work. I mean, shouldn't I stay here and just, you know, try to grow as an actor and be prepared so that I have some longevity? You know, all the concerns you have when you're really trying to make a big decision, which seems a little daunting and where you really don't know how it will turn out and everything feels like you could fail. And I remember her saying to me, Tony, it's you and me. It's you and me. We can do this. Oh, She said, I'll tell you one thing, which maybe just put your mind at ease, is this film, I really know you're right for it. They're getting their money together. They're not quite ready. And I was like, well, okay, at least there's some mention or some idea of something. I left. I did the play. And then like a year later, I remember sitting in my little rental house and I was like, I'm going to call Anne. I'm going to ask her, what is that film she was talking about? I called her. I reminded her of the conversation that we had had and how she mentioned this film. And she said, Tony, it's so weird that you called me because I literally just heard from them and they just got their funding together. And I just made a list of the actors to go in for this part. I have nobody else on this list. I only have you. Like she believed in me so greatly. And of course that was... Muriel's wedding. Muriel. Yeah. And I remember I went in, you know, when you just know. There's a feeling of Cinderella's shoe. Yeah. And I don't want to sound conceited or anything. You know, it's not some weird inflated self-belief. It's just a knowing that this is meant to be your experience. There's no other way of putting it. It just is what it is. And I auditioned on the first day. He traveled around Australia for three months looking at other people and no one ever apparently compared and then came back. He returned right back. With that slipper. Uh That's right. Uh (laughs) Of course. That was that. After Muriel's wedding, my whole life just changed. Everything opened up. It was incredible. Crazy. Still happening. I feel so, well, okay, I'm not going to get into my own feelings. I'm interested in your feelings. Don't deny them. Well, my feelings towards you, you know, it was such a huge, I don't know, honor feels patronizing and like, ah, that kind of person, and I don't, don't want to be that at all. No, it doesn't. I understand the true meaning of what that means. Good. And I'm I'm honored you felt honored. And also, you know, you made me feel safe with it because I felt very unsafe on our experience making the movie we made together. But we played, for those who don't know, we played sisters who, despite their own challenges, they were so tight and so united in their love and in their desperation to survive that... We just immediately had to do it. We'd had to become that, really. 
and I felt so safe with you and all the scenes, I think it really helped our bond on camera because we, I don't know, I felt just very open and like I could be vulnerable with you. You don't always feel like that with actors that you work with, you know. I'm so glad because I've always had a hard time communicating with people, especially women. Especially women? Yeah, yeah. And so it just means a lot that as I get older, I'm getting better at expressing my love and intention to people I love, you know. You know, Anna, Anna, sorry. If you had not told me that, I would never have known that because you were so open with me. You were. I would never have known that. So whatever's happening internally for you, it's not something that's immediately identifiable. I would never have said, oh, she's unable to crack open here. I think that because at the end of the day, it felt like, Man, if I don't put my vulnerability out there, if I don't lead with that, I go to my happy place of puzzling and knitting and watching reality television. (laughs) Which is perfectly fine. But you know what? I always feel like acting is like a metaphor for life. I mean, if you don't allow yourself to be vulnerable in life, you're never going to get the riches either, you know? Yes. You have to dive in no matter what comes up and what you receive. You've got to invest in order to get the goods. And you made me feel... Like, it was really admirable to watch you really active in filmmaking. And I mean it. And then you would be laughing hysterically like 20 seconds later at something. It was like you were a badass, (laughs) hardcore badass, and then just be like, oh, fuck it. (laughs) It was like... Who is this person? (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. Look, I'm really, um, I've been doing this for so long now that it comes from a place. I want it to be the best. I've agreed to do something and I want it to be the best. And I want it to be the best for everyone on every level. Yeah. There's no excuse that it should not be the best. Uh Even if the film isn't the best, at least the experience of making it should be feel like we've given our best. And so I don't suffer fools gladly when they don't fucking step up and give 100% when everybody else is giving 100%. And I so appreciate that because I realize that I do suffer fools (laughs) because I don't quite understand that they're fools. Oh, God. But, you know, the cast on our film was so incredible and so much fun. Unbelievable. So talented. It was such a great experience for me because of you, because I was at a place in my life where I was like, for the first time, I questioned my relationship with acting during COVID after leaving mom and all of that. I was like, what am I into? And I didn't know. So for my reentry to be with you, to get to act with you, It was elating. It just was euphoric. You're beautiful. I know that it was a really, like, a transitional time for you. You were like a little baby bird leaving the nest. I felt like it. Yeah. Which is really interesting because your character was so brazen and so, like, straight up, so frank, no filter, like, completely different to how you felt. So you really had to put yourself out there to do it. It was very impressive. I don't think I did the best job. Yes, you did. You're hilarious. Like that monologue that I give you, like when I saw the movie, I was like, 
Why was I so heartfelt? I really should have been more comedic in this moment or something. No, but it is a heartfelt moment. Do you know what? I think no matter what the genre is of any film, if you play what's written with truth, it falls into the right camp, I think. So you can't bend it and make it something else. It was written as a very connected moment between these two girls. It had to be like that. And there are funny moments in it. It's not all like... Oh, you know, there are moments where you're embarrassed by what you're saying, where you're trying to make my character laugh, and it's full of colour. You should not question that at all. I don't feel that way about it at all. No way. Thanks. Yeah. That is really kind. It's true. Okay, but wait, Tony. Yeah? You told me in New Orleans that you were leaving pretty immediately for Rome, and you showed me a couple of photos of a gorgeous apartment that you may or may not be staying in. You didn't know. And I was so excited for you. Then when we were doing press for the estate, you said, I had the best experience of my life. It's true, I did. Will you tell us about it? Because then I just was like, bye, Tony. (laughs) (laughs) Ciao, ciao. (laughs) Well... So after we finished the estate in New Orleans, I loved New Orleans, by the way. What an incredible city. I know you did. You loved the music. You would bike ride around. I rode all over the city. I just found it like culturally so stimulating, so exciting and so varied. I loved it. I still listen to that radio station. Anyway, so I went home for two weeks and then I went to Rome. So I was pretty freaking tired, actually. I got there. Guess what? Didn't have any jet lag. I was so happy to be there. And I did stay in the apartment I showed you. Oh, it was this beautiful kind of boho and had an incredible fresco on the ceiling. That's what I remember, like a tall ceiling. Yes. You said it was small, but it was like just perfect. It was so light and it was right in the center. And I had my own little church in my own little piazza. It was like my own little village within the historic center. So I get there and... I don't know. I've spent a lot of time in Italy and I've been to Rome several times, but living there was completely life-changing. I would get up at the crack of dawn and just walk for at least an hour every morning at sunrise. And I would weep because at every turn, it is truly awesome. You cannot believe what you are looking at. It's like you are in history. You are in a living, breathing museum. I wish our listeners could see you right now. And I feel it. I so feel it. I love how you paint a picture. Please go. Well, you know, so there's Rome itself, which honestly, I don't think I've ever felt so continuously joyous. And I think joy comes from a place of awe. I was so floored by awe every single day because you feel small. You suddenly feel yourself contextualized in history and you feel a part of the history and you look down and you think, oh my God, all the people who have walked here, all the horses that have ridden here, oh my God, I'm on the oldest road ever built. Like everything is, it's just the beginning of us existing, you know, in any kind of way similar to how we exist now, you know, it's an incredibly mind-blowing place. And all of the churches, the sense of devotion there, I am not a religious person, but my relationship to just going into churches and feeling the energy of churches, I'm into energy, I am spiritual, I'm not religious. And I just, honestly, I would pop into at least three or four a day and it was so special. But the people, the way of life, look, Italy is not without its own problems, but the people just have the most beautiful way about them. 
Maybe they have a greater sense of mortality than young nations do. Because of their history? Yeah, you might be right. They have a shrug with death in the way that we don't. And I think whether or not they participate in religion, it's such a big part of their culture that they can't help but be affected by it, right? And in our countries, we're so young. I think it's very different. There's nothing to cling to, whether you believe it or not, you know? If the plan is to build a cathedral that will take 300 years... Then your scope of thinking and believing in the future, your sense of hope, your sense of connectedness is very different, isn't it? It just says something about the intention of sharing and the experience of life. Yes. And I'm so happy that Italy has touched me in a way that I can't quite articulate and I definitely don't belong. I speak a very small amount of Italian. Oh, me too. I'm crap. But I'm going to learn now. I will forever go there. I feel like I belong there. The experience of making the movie was such a high. Like, it was the best job of my life. I'm so glad. It was full of so much joy and so much light. I made friends for life. I feel like I know my way around Rome. I've got my places that I go to. It was the most kind of life-affirming, heart-opening Just all we did was dance and laugh and have the time of our life, literally the time of our lives. It wasn't just me. I think it was a collective experience. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Michelle. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Hi, guys. Good. How are you guys? We're so good. You are here with Tony Collette. Thank you so much for your letter. Will you tell us what's going on? Sure. Thank you guys for having me. So I've been with my partner for five and a half years, give or take. We actually met in recovery. Um, so we met in outpatient treatment where we happened to watch your show, Mom, <laughs> during treatment on it. So we've had kind of ups and downs and he's sober. I've been sober for three years and he's such a great partner. The majority of the time he, you know, is there for me. He's very attentive. But the problem is, is that, I mean, he's about 10 years older than me. So all of his relationships up until ours involve substances. And so emotionally, he's a little bit detached sometimes. And when I had written into you out of the blue, like we're engaged. I mean, things are a little better right now, but. Essentially, from my end, things will feel like they're going perfectly. Everything's A-OK. We're having a good time together. And then it's like he's thinking all these different things that I'm not aware of. 
And all of a sudden, it's like he shuts down emotionally and just, it's like too much, you know, it's talking to a different person. He will just be like, I'm just done. I can't deal with this. I'm just going to leave. And I don't know why he does that. I mean, it's hard to talk to somebody who, it's hard to date somebody who you think at any time could be thinking something else in their head, especially when he doesn't tell me what he's thinking emotionally. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm always guessing trying to read his tone, like, is there something else going on that he's not telling me? Because he used to do that before, like, when we first started dating, he would relapse, and then he would just disappear for, like, three days, and then he would come back, and he'd beg me, and he even said that after he left last time, or he wanted to leave last time, he ended up staying, but he said, you know, I'll call you and beg to come back. I'm like, for me, if you're in a relationship, especially if you're engaged, we live together, we live together for years, I don't know what would it take for me to just leave and not come back, even for like a day. I mean, you go for a drive or think it over, but it's hard when all of a sudden he shuts down and I can't talk to him about anything. And then if I ask him, he gets more and more mad and more and more frustrated. So we've talked about him doing therapy so many times, but he's putting it off and putting it off. Yeah, I need to do that. Yeah, I need to do that. But then he just never does. I mean, it's like sobriety. You can't do it for somebody else. He has to decide to do it for himself. And I just worry that we get married and at what point he might be thinking something else for a long time and then I think everything's fine and then he might just bail. And that's scary to me. How far along in sort of the cementing of the marriage plans? And there's no judgment here. I feel you. My heart is with you. <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah. Well, that's another thing. I mean, we talked about it for... I mean, I'm not a very traditional person, and neither is he. I never really wanted a big wedding or anything like that. But we had been talking about getting married for a few years, and then finally he actually went and got me a ring. Right, okay. So this is important, though. Not about the plans. What's important is, are you guys kind of at a stalemate? Like, what is the progression of visualizing your futures? Well, I think that's the hardest part. Like, since I wrote in, you know, he didn't leave, and we kind of worked things out, talked things over. So it's like, we're good for right now, but the cause. So it's like, we want a future together. You know, we're talking about plans. We're talking about saving for houses, like getting a joint checking account. Like, I feel like he's there. Look, I think regardless of whether you actually get married or not, what I'm hearing is that you feel like the person you love the most and that you want to spend your life with, you're not sure you can trust anymore. Can you continue to be vulnerable with this person and be open with this person knowing that you feel like there's kind of one foot in, one foot out? Would I be right in saying that? I mean, I feel like that when he does that, but then that's the hardest part. It's like dealing with two different people. Like he's not like that any other time. And he is invested all the time until he's not. You know what I mean? I don't think that's how he actually feels that he wants to leave. We've done this over and over so many times. When you say so many times, how many times? I mean, when he was drinking, it was more. But I feel like that was kind of a different situation. But I guess recently in the past maybe year or so, he's done it twice. Right. But that's the hardest part is like 95% of the time, 99% of the time. He's great and perfect and supportive and we have a great time together. We're planning for the future, but it's like this part of him that, I don't know, he had told me after this last time that, you know, there's a part of him, and I totally get this, that wants to just, you know, when he gets stressed and overwhelmed, throw everything out the window and just, I mean, who doesn't want to go have no responsibilities for a while? He's like, that's not actually what I want. So I don't know how to remedy those two people. I kind of want to ask you, have you imagined your life if you broke up with him? Like, have you imagined leaving him? Even when I say that, how does that affect you? 
I think it's one of those things that I've, every time that has happened, and <laughs> being in recovery especially too, I'm like thinking, I know we have a little bit of codependence, and it's hard to break that, because he's also my best friend, you know? And at what point does that become something that's unhealthy? I mean, that thought, I just... Did I just muddle your mind? I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's just, I mean, it makes me worry, you know? Well, what I think the intention behind your question, Anna, is... We're talking about his wants and needs and how he, you know, fluctuates and oscillates. But what do you ultimately want? Like if you're starting to feel unsafe in this situation, emotionally unsafe, is it something you want to continue to pursue because you know that you love him and want to spend your life with him? Or is it giving you an opportunity to think, hang on, maybe this is not what I want to live with? If this is a cycle that's going to continue to repeat because you're two different people on two different paths and at the moment they're crossing and you're sharing. But if he continues to kind of threaten with a separation of sorts, then is that now making you wonder whether this is what you ultimately want? Is it giving you an opportunity to rethink about what you want and what you need? Are you still just as invested? I am still just as invested. I think the problem is too, like <laughs> why I didn't know how to answer your question, Anna, is because like I feel as though I'm always trying to figure out what he's thinking. I don't think about myself. That's a lot of exhaustion. That's taking up a lot of brain space. Totally. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's too much. I know. I was that person. I was always trying to make a bad thing work, you know? Yeah. Not to say that this is your thing, Michelle. It's taking up a lot of space in you uh -huh. to have to try and piece together what he's thinking all the time. It is. That's not a balanced relationship. No. That's not fair and it's not healthy. You shouldn't have to spend that much time just worrying and wondering what they're thinking. Yeah, it is kind of exhausting. And I think it's one of those things where he is open to therapy or couples therapy or working on Because, you know, he acknowledges the fact that he has a lot of relationship problems. I mean, who hasn't in the past and a lot of trust issues. The fact is that he doesn't know himself very well as a sober person and he's willing to go and do all these things, but he doesn't. You know, and every time we have this conversation, I know I need to do that. I know I need to do that. But at what point do I go, well, you haven't. I think now is the time. You've written a letter to Anna Farris about <laughs> your problems. <laughs> this is the moment to talk to him and say, you've got to do it. Or, you know, like, why are you not doing it at least? And try and encourage it. Right. But I wonder if they're in a pattern of communication where there's like the cement is sort of solidifying around their feet, where it's like, honey, what's wrong? Oh, you're not doing the thing? I thought you were going to do the thing. No, I didn't have time. I got to go shower. You know, like <laughs> yeah. that kind of... Even if they are, it's not working for Michelle. It has to change because it is not working for her, for you. Totally. I think the problem here, and you just said it, Michelle, is he does not know himself. Right. If he doesn't know himself, he cannot connect with you. Yeah. You cannot truly connect with someone else unless you know yourself. And he is the only person who can go down that path. You can encourage him, but you are separate people and he has to choose to want to know himself and to go deeper. I'm guessing the reason he now has to be sober is because for a long time he was being evasive and trying to avoid certain things in his life. Mm -hmm. And even though he's sober... He probably still hasn't faced them because it's too painful. That's why people become addicts, because they don't want to face certain things in their lives. It's just too traumatic and it's too painful. And so, yes, being sober is one amazing, great step, 
but you have to go in. It's the only way. And until he does that, I really don't think you're going to get what you want from him because he's not going to see you. If he can't see himself, he's not going to see you. He's not going to connect with you in the way that you are ready for and that you want. How can he if he can't connect with himself? There's just no way. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I feel as though (laughs) part of me feels like I'm enabling him to keep putting off this major thing that he wants to do, but just keeps not doing it. I mean, it's true. You can't really love somebody else until you know how to love yourself. We've had this conversation like in the past week. He'll talk about himself so negatively. And so I don't know what's going on in his head, but it's not you know, it's not a healthy place for him about himself or, you know, me as a result. I feel like I'm pushing it and I want him to want it so bad and do it, but I can't do it for him. And I just keep having this conversation with him. You know, I I send him like links to therapists and, well, we can do this or we could do that. And we have this conversation over and over and over and over again. And I'm just exhausted. Do either of you have the resource to potentially, like, live apart without breaking up? I mean, we could. We actually live with my parents right now while we're saving up for a house. We live on our lower level and pay them rent. So, I mean, it's not like we're leasing a place. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. How close are you with your parents? Very close. Like, full disclosure, I could never have had this conversation with my parents in a somewhat similar position when I was in my 20s, even though I would always describe myself and still do as very close with my parents. I was too proud to be like, hey, what do you guys actually think about this person in my future with this person? So are you comfortable asking them? Well, I've talked to them about it so many times. What do they say? I mean, pretty much what you guys have said. I'm worried that you're like kind of determined to be on this hamster wheel. I think the fact that she's written is she is very determined to get off the hamster wheel. Good. I'm just going to be really honest here. Yeah, please. I think the only way for both of you to learn how to thrive as individuals, it's the only way to thrive ultimately together. I think what you're going to have to do, I mean, you just said it yourself, you know, until he knows himself and does some work, you're not going to be able to connect with him. 
So I think you kind of might have to be brave and say, look, it's not working as it is. You need to go and do this work. And then hopefully we'll come back together, but I need to let you go so you can do it. I need to let myself go because I'm finding it too overwhelming. Right. I think it's the only way. And I truly believe that if you're meant to be together, you'll come back together. Something that's meant for you will never, ever pass you by. And it might be the best thing, knowing that there's a threat of losing you. It might force him to go, what the fuck am I doing? And go and get some help. Yeah. It's very scary to think that. Totally. It is. Here's my practical advice. Absolutely nothing has to be done today mm. or tomorrow or in the next week. Okay. Okay. But do start to think about because he's living with your parents and you, there will be a logistical finesse that has to happen if you decide that your future isn't necessarily with this person. Mm-hmm. You are creating a space for him to heal. You have to put it in that frame because you're not kicking him out, you know, dumping him. You're helping him. You're helping him. He has to go and figure it out. And the longer you put up with it, the longer he never will. He won't grow. Yeah. But the problem is he's going to say to her, like, I don't know what I'm going to do without you. I can't live without you. Well, then you say, we all have choices. I love you. I'm doing this because I love you, because we're not going to really function and work and thrive as a healthy, loving couple until you go inward and until you know yourself. Yeah. I mean, I honestly think I have to do something like that because I've tried all of the other things up to it. I mean, honestly, at this point, years of chances. I don't think he is moving. No, he's not. He's not going to move. And you can't stay trapped in it. Exactly. And be afraid of how he's going to react. I believe that love never fails. If you do this in a loving way, you know that you're doing it in a loving way. You're doing it for his betterment. Look, God forbid, if something terrible does happen, it is not your fault. You are releasing him so that he can become a better person. He's not going to do that in this situation with you. He is stuck. He's very stuck. Yeah, very much so. You're in a stuck situation as well. You can feel that you need to free yourself, but he's not willing to do that for himself. Yeah, but don't put any pressure on yourself. Just know that you both are in a little bit of an unsolvable position right now. Yeah. You cannot fix what's going on. He is unwilling to fix what's going on. And if the day comes in like five years where he's like, baby, I didn't know what I was thinking. I love you so much and I want to like swoop you off your feet and take care of you forever. And I can't believe I took you for granted I just don't know if that happens. Yeah, I feel like we're at a stalemate. Yeah, you are. Yeah. But never say never, honestly. You don't know what will happen. It's very difficult when you feel stuck to see beyond that stuck space, right? Yeah. You might let him go and then meet the friggin' love of your life that you're meant to be within three weeks. You just don't know. But you need to create the space for goodness to come into your life because at the moment, nothing is moving. Yes, yeah. exactly. I just need to hear from somebody else. I understand it. Absolutely. And you know what? You've got one life. Be brave. Be honest. Be ballsy. Do what feels right to you. Don't bend over backwards for other people. Lean on the people that you trust, if that's your mom or your dad, and ask them if you make this decision, if you're like, I don't know if I want to live with him anymore. Yeah. Lean on one of them. Say, how do I practically do this? I never asked for outside perspective. That was a big mistake of mine. I was too proud. It feels to me like you know what you have to do. And sometimes you just need to have it reflected. Yeah. So you feel a bit safer in it, like you're not alone in it, in your own thinking. Just listen to your gut. Yeah. That's all you have to do. 
You're beautiful. You're smart. And you're your own entity. Thank you. I feel you. I've been there. Yeah, right. Yeah. I think I thought I was writing in mostly about him, but I think it's just, yeah, like Tony, like you said, I, I know what I need to do. And I've been spinning my wheels with everybody I talk to about this. And we get down to it. It's up to him. And I can't fix it. And I shouldn't have to fix it. But I'm forgetting myself at the end of the day. And that's a problem for obvious reasons. <laughs> well, you know what? Your problem with him is that he's not addressing it himself. And now you've started doing it just to survive together and keep it together. Yeah. So don't betray yourself. You know, you know. Oh, my God. I send you so much love. Yeah. Thank you. I feel it. I know it's hard. You will get through it. It is, yeah. There is life on the other side of a difficult decision. Totally. Whatever happens. You're already partially through it, for better or for worse. Right. Michelle, I love you. I feel you. And I thank you so much. Love you guys, too. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for being so open. And keep breathing. Do what's right for you. Be brave. Yep. I will. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Michelle. Lots of love. See ya. Bye, Michelle. Bye, guys. Tony, you are so excellent at that. <laughs> you are. Oh, poor Michelle. She's in a bit of a rut. Oh, man. I could tell she knows what she needs to do. She just needs other people to say, yeah, that's it. Yeah. To see it so she doesn't feel so alone in her decision. Oh, sweet thing. Yeah. Tony, can I ask you one question really quickly if I can? Yes. Let's say all forms of entertainment were outlawed. <laughs> How would you make money? Oh, my God. Like, what other skill set do you have? Certainly not cooking. Uh, well, this probably won't come as a surprise to you, but I would be very interested in naturopathy and homeopathy and alternative medicine. That's always fascinated me. And it works. I think that Mother Earth provides all that is needed. Science is amazing, and we definitely need it at times, but... I think for smaller issues, health-wise, you know, it's all available. Tony, I have to let you go. You're sick. <laughs> I am sick. But will you tell us about Mafia Mama? First, you look so sexy. You're hysterical. And this was obviously the Roman project that you left and had the best time on. Yeah, it's the best film. It is the funniest film. It is wet your pants, like proper funny. It was so exciting to do a comedy and... It's kind of this beautiful feminist piece, actually, but it's in no way dogmatic or preachy. It is just the most gleeful ride. Honestly, if you feel like a laugh, just go. Because it's also silly, but it's kind of smart. And it's about this woman who is completely overlooked in her life, growing a backbone and coming to know herself. Really, ultimately, that's it. That's the theme. By becoming like a super badass? Yeah, by becoming a super fucking badass. <laughs> <gasps> and also getting a makeover from Monica Bellucci along the way. <laughs> it's a good one. I love it so much. I'm so proud of it. It's so special. I just want the whole world to see it. It's so freaking funny. I wish the whole world could see how beautiful you look on this imagined <laughs> sick day that you're having. You're so I am sick. Oh, I can't <laughs> believe you think I look beautiful. I feel the complete you do. opposite. 
Hilarious. <laughs> well, I appreciate all your positivity. Thank you. I so appreciate you. I love seeing you. I love seeing you too. And I love you so much. And I cannot thank you enough for doing my podcast. I love you too. Bye, darling. Take care, honey. Bye.